0: This guy's putting black ink on white paper. People are sending him green money. So how come? And I got it right away. I realized it was an emotional appeal. What I got by the the transaction there, I gave him my 10 bucks. What happened was I felt better about myself. You hear all the bull about marketing every day. Make your money in your sleep. My new offer is crushing it. My guru could beat up your guru. It's time to go right to the source and get the truth about marketing. With your host, the founder of copychief.com, Kevin Rogers.
1: Hey, welcome back to the truth about marketing. My guest today is Clayton Makepeace. Look, if you follow the world of direct response marketing or aspire to become great at the art of copywriting, then Clayton honestly needs no introduction. He's a legend among copywriters, also one of the most prolific and revered teachers of copywriting in the history of the craft. For the rest of you, Clayton Makepeace has spent nearly four decades creating high converting ad campaigns and that includes internet and print promotions that combined, get this, have sold over a billion and a half worth of nutritional supplements, investment products, books, newsletters, uh, his, his main uh, go-to subjects are personal finance, investing, healthcare, and I'm sure many more that we don't know about. Clayton's direct response copy has generated as many as 2 million new customers for a single product, get this, in 36 months, double, tripled, and on four separate occasions, quadrupled the number of paying customers on his client's house files. God increased his clients' revenues by as much as 1,000% in a single month and multiplied monthly revenues by uh, up to 4,400% in uh, over a year's time. So, Clayton, man, wow. Congratulations on a celebrated career and thanks a lot for making time for us today. Thank you. It's really great to be here. I know that you (laughs) also have uh, an amazing collection of rock, uh, memorabilia, I mean, some really incredible stuff, like the last guitar that Stevie Ray Vaughan ever held, among other things. Um, yes. What did you think life would be like for you when you were growing up?
0: You know, it was really interesting. My, my mom um, had me absolutely convinced by the time I was old enough to understand English that that I was, um, in terms of special babies born in this world, there was Jesus, and then there was me. <laughs> and in fact, you know, I I played Jesus in the Northwestern University uh, Christmas play when I was a year old, wow. and um, she she basically gave me this confidence that I had something very special mm. to give. And even though my family never, my dad was a preacher, never earned more than six hundred dollars a month in his life. Uh, You know, we went to school wearing the same jeans all year long and and had maybe two or three shirts total. Um, So we were very, very poor. Um, I knew and I knew that I knew from the earliest day that that I would do something special in my life. And I think that's so important, you know, when you're raising children to give them that that sense that they have something special, something unique to contribute. Um, Uh Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was really, that was really where it came from. And then, so when I got old enough that, um, to go to work, I was very impatient. Um, if I was in a job that I, where I didn't see the, the, the path forward on that particular job, I would shift quickly. Mm. My first love was film and television production. I went to Columbia school of broadcasting out in Hollywood, Mm. uh, I had my own soundstage at Columbia Pictures for a while. Um, I had five camera video trucks that I was technical director on um, around the country. And that was my first love. But I got to a point where my eyesight was not really good enough to shoot in low light situations. Mm. And when I realized that, I immediately uh, switched careers. So for me, and the, the same thing happened when it was time to move my family, If I had an opportunity, we were living an idyllic life in Prescott, Arizona, up in the mountains, beautiful country. I was freelancing. I was doing okay. You know, I was in the seventies. I was or early eighties. I was making like 90 grand a year, which was fairly good money back then. Um, But a guy offered me a job up in Minneapolis and he said, you know, I'll give you whatever you want. I said, well, then I want a quarter million a year. And he goes, okay. I said, and I want 5% of revenues, gross revenues. He goes, okay. And I, and, and I, every time he said, okay, I said, oh, crap, I didn't ask for enough. So I kept <laughs> asking for stuff. <laughs> and so by the time he was done, he basically given me a million dollar deal. And so I, uh, I just told the family, that's it. We're moving to Minneapolis. So I followed the money basically. And, um, uh, I never did anything distasteful. Mm-hmm. I never did anything I didn't believe in, but but I was success oriented from the very beginning. And uh, so the answer to your short answer to your question is yes, I did believe in my heart of hearts that that I would do something important, you know, that and that I would be successful, and it was all because of my mom.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that's uh that's a great story, and I, I I've heard you say before that uh, y- your dad was the ruler of the house, but she, yeah. your mom understood uh, how to get her away. And that was your first idea of or first view of persuasion and action.
0: Yeah. She would wink and she would say, well, I'll just use psychology on your dad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> She had a master's in theology, so she was well-educated mm-hmm. um, and a very intelligent lady. And uh, she would just, you know, Dad was tried to be authoritarian, but somehow she always
1: got around him. <laughs> <laughs> and so education, obviously, a big uh, theme in your house. Uh, you think you had an advantage there? Were you, uh, you know, not forced, but led to explore more things than the average kid?
0: Well, I don't know about more things, but I can tell you this. Uh, my parents had awesome um, vocabularies. Mm. and um, dad, dad was a student of Hebrew and Greek, Uh, you know, on car trips, instead of playing uh, other, you know, road games, we would, we would learn the Greek alphabet, you know? Mm. And um, uh, so I had that. And then also my parents were extremely conservative politically. And so from the age of 12, I was studying Austrian economics, socialism, you know the the various economic models, yeah. And um, actually, they sent me away to schools in the summertime to learn that kind of stuff. And so I had no idea at the time, but that's come in extremely helpful in writing promotions for financial newsletters. And uh, also, their distrust of the establishment um, has been very helpful in my uh, writing for the health market. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. really, it's really uh, interesting to me that, well, you know, we, Wendy and I, my wife and I were there at the birth of the alternative health newsletter market. In fact, our uh, we actually created the first alternative health newsletter, health and healing and sold 2 million subscriptions to it. But um, it occurred to me immediately as I was writing that first promotion that the mentality of the people who would buy this newsletter is exactly the same as the mentality of the people who buy financial newsletters. Hmm. That is that they don't trust the establishment interesting, and uh, they want to take matters into their own hands. And uh, I remember putting a line in that first package that said um, that a surgeon will cut a hole right through your body in order to get to your wallet. Oh, wow. And, 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 and sure enough, as they started mailing that piece, they found out that financial newsletter lists worked every bit as well as the health market lists mm. that were out there. Actually, in some cases better because the health market lists tended to be for mainstream health publications
1: and those people weren't our ideal prospects. Right, right, interesting. Uh, when you write a line like that, you you, you jump out of your chair. <laughs> And, and you know, do you fist pump? What do you do? Do you feel that, right?
0: <laughs> well, on that, Yeah. Yeah. on that one. And I'm a very visceral writer. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I do everything on the basis of feeling and emotion. And, and when I, sometimes I just crack myself up you know, I'll be writing something and, and I'll start laughing out loud and I'll have to go in the other room, tell Wendy what I just wrote. <laughs> um, and uh, on that one though, I was, I was all alone. I was a bachelor. And I wrote that and I just
1: sat there and laughed. You know, it's <laughs> a great line. had a great line. It's so visual, right? You talked about being a visceral and a visual guy. Uh, when, yeah. what, is that one of the signs you'll see in a young copywriter that gets you to raise your eyebrow if they have that instinct?
0: Well, you, you probably, yes, absolutely. The, the short answer is yes. Um, I really believe that, uh, and you've probably heard me say this, that, Nobody buys anything we sell for practical reasons. Nobody needs anything that we sell. Right. I mean, what they need is to put away more money for retirement. They need to put away more money for their kids' education. They don't need to buy your newsletter. They don't need to buy your health supplement. You know, they 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 really have other priorities, other things that are more important. And um, there was an executive with, uh, I think it was McCann Erickson, who once said that, you um, said the same thing nobody needs anything we sell all they really need is a cave a fire and a recently deceased squirrel and that's <laughs> i think that's absolutely true so then the question is if people are buying our stuff anyway um why are they doing it and the answer is they're buying for emotional reasons they're buying our stuff because it satisfies some emotional need that they have Right. And I, I've got a whole wrap on this in fact. I, I spent a lot of time with Richard Vigory who basically invented political fundraising, uh, two weeks ago. Mm. And we got to spend three days ago. It was really, what a great guy, but this is a brilliant man who invented political fundraising. He essentially is, uh, put Reagan in the white house. He was, the contract with America was developed in his dining room with Newt Gingrich. Wow. Um, very influential guy listed in, on some list of the hundred richest men in America, um, 83 years old, still does 13 hours a day. Wow. And, um, uh, I got a job in a print shop when I was really young, folding appeal letters that Richard had written. And, um, when I was like 16 years old. And so I, I remember sitting in the middle of the night realizing if I donate money to this organization, you know, it's not going to grow hair on my bald spot. It's not going to make my teeth whiter. It's not going to make my lawn greener. It's not going to make me richer. It's not going to keep me from having a heart attack. All it's going to do is make me $10 poorer. Right? Mm. So, um, so, I was immediately fascinated by that. This guy's putting black ink on white paper. People are sending him green money. So, how come? And I got it right away. I realized it was an emotional appeal. What I got by the transaction there, I gave my 10 bucks. What happened was I felt better about myself. Hmm. Maybe I felt like I I had more control over the world around me. It was a political uh, fundraiser. Uh, If it was a charitable fundraiser, it was because I felt like I had done something good you know, earn my right. way to heaven kind of. Right? right. So I was buying that. I was buying an emotion for my 10 bucks. Wow. And, if, and, and if these guys do nothing more than they, they can get rich and become one of the richest men in America, just selling emotional gratification, then imagine what would happen if we apply that principle to selling other products. And, um, that's how I came to the whole idea of, uh, of a keying in on,
1: resident, uh, dominant emotions, uh, that my prospects have. So fantastic. And once you have that realization and that, so now you're, uh, I would assume on this mission to really understand it, right? It's like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. And now who's, who's done this, Who's studied this, who's written about this. What did you find when you went down that journey? Absolutely
0: nothing. Um, I didn't see anything out there. Mm. Now you have to remember, this is back in the '70s, so you know there, we didn't have the proliferation of gurus that we have today. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the prolifer- proliferation of self-help books. Um, the uh, the books that got me started tended to be Hopkins, te- you know, Claude Hopkins and John Caples, especially. I loved his checklist. Every every chapter in in uh, his book, Test Advertising Methods, is a is a checklist. right
2: Right. so
0: um they they were fantastic along those lines but what i did um i paid a lot of attention to conservative radio because i realized that's what they were doing and if you think of rush limbaugh that's all he does he doesn't sell you anything that's going to change your life he sells you the emotional gratification of having somebody you respect put your feelings into words yeah and that gives you emotional catharsis right so um Uh, it was really watching the, the, uh, the, the nonprofit fundraisers and, and mimicking what they did, even down to, uh, Richard invested, invented list segmentation. Mm. So, you know, even on the, on the left brain side of what we do, um, those guys really had it before anybody else. So it was more along those lines.
2: But you know
0: what? One of the things I I just want to say real Mm -hmm. quickly is, you know, the the whole thing of appealing to somebody's emotions uh, in your in your copy is it's easy to say, but there are two ways to do it. You know, one is to directly address the emotions. You know, like say you, you never have to feel you never you never have to feel inadequate again. You know, you never have to feel fat and uncomfortable again. You never have to feel depressed because the women aren't checking you out again. You never have to feel terror that you don't have enough money saved for retirement. You can, you can address those issues explicitly, but also simply uh, you need to be aware that as you're raising the benefit that your product is offering that act in and of itself is triggering uh, resident emotions that your prospect has and that are helpful to your sale so so there's you know you don't have to directly address the emotion mm. so long as you're aware of what you're doing when you're talking about you know the bene- the product benefits.
1: I right. like doing both you know I like doing both that's a great point if you're starting a, a a piece and you haven't quite tapped into the emotion yet, you start with the more practical stuff
0: um you know what i before I start writing, uh, I've already made those connections. Um, let's say, for example, that the uh, the product the product reverses heart disease. Okay, well, I've already just um, kind of automatically at this point in my career, after doing this for over forty years, I've already connected to how somebody with a diagnosis of heart disease feels and not just about the diagnosis, but about how their life changed when they received it about the indignity of going to people who think a good idea is to put you in a gown that shows your ass, <laughs> you know, Yeah. you know, that that really don't care about you or how you feel to the point where they're willing to do that to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the endless doctor appointments, the doctors who keep you waiting in waiting room for four hours while well, they do God knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the extra cost, the time consumption. I, instead of laying on the beach, I got to go to my cardiologist's office. You know, what, what are all the feelings that they have wrapped up in that diagnosis? And, um, and then then if my product if the promise of my product is to, re, is to uh, reverse or at least manage that situation in their lives, then all of a sudden it's not just about curing heart disease. It's about restoring dignity. It's about restoring wasted time or lost time. It's about restoring uh, lost finances. It's about giving them a positive, excited view of their own future where, where pres- our Previously, there was only fear. Hmm. And so so you start connecting with those things automatically. So I tell writers, make a list of the product benefits. Make a list of the emotional benefits as well as the practical ones. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes, it gives you a greener lawn. But at the same time, you know, you'll have the best looking house in the neighborhood. So what does that mean? You know, that gets you respect. That gets you the admiration of your neighbors. It gets you the the gratitude of your neighbors, makes you a popular guy. Right. Yeah. You know, in the, in the hierarchy of human needs, nowhere in there is green grass. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. So,
0: so you have to dig deeper past that to find out why they're really buying the product.
1: Yeah, that's great. If you had to, write uh if somebody said Clayton here's a challenge for you you have to write a, a, an ad based either on all emotion or all practicality uh which would you choose
0: wow well it would depend on the market I mm-hmm. think it would mm-hmm. depend on the product um and um they're equally strong. As I said, in the, in the, in the uh, fundraising area, it's all emotion. So if it was a fundraising promotion, that's where I would go. But I would do my darndest to make sure that there was a premium of some kind that they would get in return for their donation that would give them a substantive benefit as well as the emotional benefit. And then vice versa in the, uh, the non-profit world, uh, I, I would try to do the same thing. I would try to bring emotion to the sale but it's really hard to
1: answer that question without knowing the product. It's true. It's a good point. Do you believe that the more, uh, severe the problem, the product solves, the less need for empathy? Well, let me rephrase that. Obviously we always need empathy, but the stuff you talked about before the indignity of, of how you're treated with a health problem. If we're talking about, cancer and i just have been diagnosed right i just want answers i want to read everything i want to try everything uh is is there is there a time when it's like we don't need as much emotion we just need to convince this person that we've got something that's proven and that they really need to know about
0: yeah well you know there's i think the order in which you introduce ideas in your copy is very important Mm -hmm. so if this if 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 this is a, for a cancer product, then um, going in talking about um, the indignity of hospital gowns is going to get you killed, basically, right. um, because the, the need is so obvious and no pressing. But there is a place later in the copy to talk about the side, side effects of what you're doing. You know, the, 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 we're used to the phrase side effects applying to drugs and side effects are only negative things, right? But if you're selling a health product, there are side effects too. And they, they tend to be all positive ones. And the side effects are not just physical. They can also be emotional. So there is a place in a promotion like that to remind the prospect of all of the benefits that come along with the major benefit, right? So, um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the severity of severity of the situation. Is going to dictate what you lead with in in many cases.
1: Yeah, I, I want to for a minute if, if I could go back to politics because uh, it, it, I've always been a little fascinated by your um, how upfront you are with your politics. You know, so many people have this sort of this rule of politics and religion stay out of it. Right, as long as mm-hmm. I can remember, before there was a Facebook you were, uh, you would, you would resist no chance to rant politically. Uh, (laughs) are you, I guess two part question. One is, do you ever wrestle with that uh, idea? And two, are you doing it as much to, as a case study, to get reactions from people and see what, you know, pushes their buttons? Or is it really just information you need to share? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit of everything, you know, when I, with it, I know you're referring to the total package and I would yeah. every once in a while have a political article in there and I thought it was fascinating because it's almost like poking the fowl with a sharp stick. Mm. You know, I, the total package was um, published in blog format. So at the bottom of every issue, you could enter your comments on that issue. Right. And uh, that's how we collected over 2000 <laughs> testimonials. Uh, for the thing, but I would normally get 30 or 40 comments, this out of a file of 40,000 people, I would get 30 or 40 comments to each article. And, uh, but the minute I would do a political article, I would get 200, 300, 400 comments.
2: Mm.
0: And they were, and it was, it was great. It's controversy sells, right? And so now all of a sudden a huge part portion of my file that had signed up, but wasn't really reading the daily issues. Um, now they're engaged yeah. and, uh, they've, they've come back and they're coming to the website and they're checking things out and they may be pissed at me. They may not be, but we had, we had discourse now on Facebook. I have rules and, uh, because i've developed high blood pressure so if you disagree with me politically <laughs> you're unfriended and if you say anything bad about the beatles you're unfriended um, but back then it was a great way to poke the file and see where people were most activated mm. right yeah and also you know we talk a lot about how the, how financial newsletter subscribers are politically conservative yeah. as a rule Mm -hmm. but it's probably 80%. If I had to guess 80% of all our subscribers would identify themselves as politically conservative as Republicans or as uh, libertarians. But that means 20% of your response is coming from people who are not conservative. So walking a fine line there Mm -hmm. is, is really important. So when I'm writing copy um, I make, very sure that I'm not doing anything that would basically tell a Democrat that I'm
1: sorry, you can't buy my product because you don't agree with, with my politics. Mm. So so you wouldn't outright uh, attack Obama when he was in office?
0: Well, I would attack policies, mm-hmm. you know, if there's, if there's a high tax policy or there's a regulatory policy that's killing jobs um, uh, or, or, any economic policy, uh, then I would attack that. But I would never attack uh, a Democratic president per, uh, personally.
2: Gotcha. Um,
0: just like right now with Trump. We um, Back when Reagan was elected, 1980, uh, response to our financial publications died for six months. We went from 100% ROI in the mail to 30% ROI literally in one day. On election wow. day wow! and um, it took six months before people realized that they hadn't elected the Messiah that what well, no matter how much they loved Reagan the fact of the matter was they still needed guidance to make good investments and so they came back and hmm. they came back with a vengeance and we had some of our biggest wins in the uh, in the 80s and and since then uh, Everyone I know in my industry was uh, fearful of the same thing. In fact, Jed Candy and I were just talking about this just Mm -hmm. before this call. Excuse me. We were all afraid the same would happen with Trump's election. But we're not seeing it. Hmm. I'm not seeing that reduction in response. But for creating promotions going forward, you know, if I've got a fear-based promotion that's basically predicting the end of the world as we know it, I've got to make pretty sure that it's clear in my copy that it's not Trump's fault. You know, he's being ambushed by this. This has been, Mm. you know, this is being handed to him or this was written in the stars, you know? Right. And, uh, so I've got to alleviate him of any guilt. So I won't alienate my, uh, Mm. my, uh, Trump people. And, and it's really important now because people are so activated politically right. on both yeah. sides on both sides.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask that it's so unpredictable right now. I mean, you know, the guy uh, as we record this has been in 3 weeks and it's unbelievable how fast the news cycle is turning on the, the controversies yeah. and so well and and the media has abandoned any pretense of objectivity i mean
0: i saw a meme the other day where there was a newspaper headline new york times saying nazi racist homophobe trump bashes media bias <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly what conservatives are seeing out there right now but, yeah but at, and we're also we're also seeing the left the tolerant left going ballistic and beating the living crap out of conservatives on college campuses. Mm. So and and we saw gun sales go up from record highs under Obama to even higher highs now, uh, much of it being attributed to uh Democrats and Liberals. So, mm. you know, the way to get rich now is to sell be an arms dealer, I guess, and sell guns mm. to both sides. <laughs> <laughs> Finally.
1: They doubled their market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, because I was thinking that given that, you can't latch on to a news story or predict a policy as a, as a hook, right? As much as you might have been able to in the past, because it was, it was like there was for the, forever this sort of protocol about how things were going to go. And it just feels like that's all out the window now. So you can't. Well for, yeah, The timeliness of it has all changed. Well, the timeliness
0: has changed, but there are certain things we know, right? Like, for example, we know that Obama funneled billions of dollars to green energy companies. Mm-hmm. That's going to stop. So if you own stock in green energy companies, you need to rethink that. We know that Trump has uh, vowed to, to uh, make huge expenditures in infrastructure development. And we know that even Democrats in Congress want that. So it's a pretty, pretty clear bet that's going to happen. Right. So all those infrastructure stocks ought to do really well. Uh, we also know he's vowed to rebuild the military. So we know that defense stocks will probably do well. So, so there are a lot, I think there are a lot of policies that we can use for fodder in our, in our uh, financial promotions right now. In fact, this whole idea of this sea change in, um, in government policy, I mean, you couldn't be more left than Obama or or really any more right than Trump at this point. Uh, Although he's not, I don't see him as an ideologue. I see him as a pragmatist, but but, I mean, he's coming down on the extreme right on almost every issue. Right. Uh, So this radical sea change in policy has got to create volatility in the market and that's gotta create opportunities for investors. So that's how I'm approaching it.
1: Awesome. Uh, two more questions. Uh, is, there, is there one niche you, you just have zero interest in ever entering, no matter how good the money was?
0: Well, uh, <laughs> when Gene Schwartz died, he asked his wife just before he died, uh, he had a product called Sex Over 40. <laughs> and um, he says, well, call Clayton up and see if he'll take over the marketing on that product. And so after his his death, she called me and asked me. And I said, well, I haven't seen the product. Send it to me. So she sends me a three-foot-by-three-foot box full of videotapes, VHS cassette. (laughs) And it's just ugly people having sex, you know? Because I guess, (laughs) you know, making sure that they were over 40 was important. And they all had paunches and things were sagging. And it just wasn't that attractive. And so um, uh, I just... Said I told her I'm sorry this isn't for me. Uh, funny story though. A uh, couple of weeks later, we had a party at the house, and all the kids were put in the master bedroom to watch Barney movies. And the wrong tape was in the in the player, and it got really quiet back there. And I went back to see what was happening, and they all had these horrified looks on their faces. <laughs> looking, at, looking at Gene's video, I never want to be
1: forty. <laughs> yeah. God, let me die at thirty-nine. <laughs> so, oh God, so, that's know, Yeah,
0: if the the fact is, I wish I'd turned down more work. Um, I'm going to hmm. be spending some time with Bill over in France, Bill Bonner over in France this September. And, um, it's caused me to, to remember, uh, my first meeting with Bill. And he had asked me to write a promotion for one of his newsletters. And quite frankly, it was the first time I'd worked with him. I had a full plate with, with, uh, Phillips publishing at the time. And Bill was a small fish out there. And, um, uh, but I respected what he was doing and I really wanted the relationship. So I went to Baltimore, sat down with him and the editor and we talked about it. And it was clear to me from the outset that I have no freaking clue how to sell this product. It wasn't a financial product primarily. Mm-hmm. It was more of a political one. And, and I had no idea how to sell that product, but I accepted the assignment. I wish I would turned it down, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, the only other, t- you know, the, there are several little examples like that. Another time, a guy walked into my office with a box full of sex toys and told me he was starting an online sex business. And uh, would, I, would, I, would I help him uh, sell them? And I, I just, <laughs> I turned that one down, too. <laughs> so, you know, you, but, but I tend to turn things down not so much on moral grounds, but on can I write am I the right guy to, to write this promotion? Right. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if I get, if I look at the product and I get it, mm-hmm. not just the pragmatic, not just the practical benefits, but the emotional benefits of the product, then then chances are I'll jump
1: at it. So you think about the end user at all too. It's like, it, it, even though you can be detached from the end, user, you you're still gonna have to do a lot of research, <laughs> right? And, yes.
0: Yes. Yeah, in fact, I've I've got um, a thing I'm doing. I'm doing two webinars this week um, that have to do with writing better copy faster. Mm. And there's actually a form that I created. Um, and the first ten questions on the form all have to do with the, the product, and the and, and uh, the last fourteen questions all have to do with the prospect. And so the the Thinking about the process, I mean, that's how important the prospect is, the process, right? Yeah, right. So, you know, two of the questions, for example, I think are just absolutely seminal. And there's stuff that, frankly, a lot of copywriters never ask about, you know, uh, a market uh, right. or their prospect. The yeah. first question is, what does my prospect have to believe to make this purchase mandatory? Hmm. You know, to make it a no brainer, like, you know, either buy this product or I might as well just give up living right now because, you know, what does he have to believe to make the purchase that mandatory? Right. And then the second question is, what do I have to sh- say or show him or demonstrate to, m- to make that belief as intense as possible? Hmm. And if you ha- just ask those two questions, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to make a huge difference in the success of your promotions.
1: Uh, is video helping that ability to demonstrate the value of a product?
0: Um, I think so. Um, But I think it could, but I don't think it's being used that way yet. Um, I haven't seen, frankly, any VSLs in the health space. Um, I'm sure somebody's doing them. Um, I'm going to contact a friend of mine who owns a health company to see what's going on there. And, of course, Carlene is really uh, clued in there. Yeah, but but um, the the uh, VSLs have been huge for us over in the financial space. That you can figure they at least double your your uh, ROI uh, mm-hmm. over a static HTML page. But we're not doing that much demonstrative stuff, right. right? Now on the health side, oh my God! I mean, you can show the process of an artery getting clogged. You right. can show the process of the nutrient going in and rotor rooting the, the artery out. You can, right you can interview doctors. You, you know, there's all kinds of cool stuff you can do on the health side that really wouldn't work that well on the financial side. Um, yeah. although what we've done is, um, um, uh, when selling there's this, there's this thing, Raymond Lowy was a, uh, a product designer he designed everything from toasters to locomotives. He designed a Greyhound bus. And, you know, if you're doing that kind of work, there's, a real possibility you'll take it too far right you and and make a product unappealing to the market because it's so extreme so he, he de- developed this idea of neophilia, this idea that everyone has a fascination with new products and everyone has a fear of them and um, so the idea is to make new products feel familiar mm-hmm right? Yeah. To make surprising products feel familiar and to make familiar products feel surprising. And so, um, you know, that's a major consideration in everything I do as well.
1: That's great. Is is there a book? Is he written? Is he?
0: No, there's a really good article. It's Raymond Lowe, L O I think it's L O W E or I E. Uh, Anyway, you can Google him and there's some good articles on him online. I think one of them was in the New Republic that uh, really uh, clued
1: me into it. Yeah, we'll we'll search that and put a link in the show notes. All right, Clayton, I want to respect your time. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, I will ask you what we consider the essential question on the show. Clayton, make peace. What is the one thing you've done in your marketing that produced the most surprising results?
0: <laughs> okay, this will take a minute. Um, at Blanchard & Company, we offered we sold coins, and the Swiss government had just introduced the world's first platinum proof set. And uh, it was gorgeous, but there were only 2,000 proof sets made worldwide. And um, uh, the coins were just amazing to look at. And I sat down and started writing, and I thought, you know, i got to figure out a better way to do this. And so I segmented my file and picked only my very best customers, people who had spent the most with me over the longest period of time um, and, uh, and, and bought the most often during the year. And uh, I took 1,000 of those people and I sent them each a proof set. Mm. Now, these sets sold for over $2,000 piece. And I just sent each one of them a proof set. And I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. I didn't. If I told the CFO, he would have had a stroke on the spot. His head would have literally exploded. <laughs> but um, uh, I just sent them out, and my letter was uh, from Jim Blanchard, the owner of the company that they all had a relationship with, and it said it started out by saying um, I sat down to write you a letter to describe how beautiful these sets are, but sometimes words fail dot 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 mm. and then it told them you know all about the coins and then at the end of the letter it says all I ask know I sent this to you so you could see it and appreciate it as much as I do because I know as my friend you know how much you love these things all I ask is that you would use the uh, label that we sent with it to, to return the proof set or if you want to buy it call your broker right now mm. and uh, we also have some additional ones available and so um, we sold out one weekend we sold out in two days. Wow. So, um, 2000 proof says, I think it was $2,500 a proof set. So, um, that was the most surprising thing. And I, everything that I just described, I learned from Richard Vigory.
1: Wow. Interesting. That's a great answer. Thank you so much for that. Um, all right, Clayton, again, I really appreciate it. Is there somewhere, uh, people can go the, the total package, Sadly, doesn't exist, but it does. The archives are there, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Makepeace. T- www.makepeacetotalpackage.com. We've got I don't know a thousand articles up there, um, and we're just leaving us free. There's nothing to buy. Great. Also, um, if, if you're interested in stuff I'm doing now in terms of training, you can go to uh, awaionline.com and and look around there for me and you'll see the products that I have and
1: and the training that I'm doing in various uh, venues, so. Fantastic, I hope to see you at camp again this year. And, yeah, it'd uh, be great. All right, awesome, thanks a lot, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Bye. bye-bye. Hey, thanks again for listening to The Truth About Marketing Podcast. If you like this show and you think other people would like this show, the best way to spread the word is by reviewing and rating the show in itunes just log in click review leave a big old fat five-star review and let everybody know that you dig the show so that they can dig it too to get all the links and resources we mentioned on today's episode please go to copychief.com forward slash tam as in truth about marketing and if you'd like to Uh, Learn more about how you can improve your sales copy with uh, templates, formulas, coaching, feedback, or hiring a pro. Do all that on the inside of the members area of CopyChief.com, and I will look for you there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.